Inflation data, business surveys, and just looking around the world suggest that prices are moving higher. Are those price pressures here to stay? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbet. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team. What we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of May 24th, 2021. And today we're going to discuss the hottest topic out there in markets, inflation. Ooh, hot take. The hottest topic is probably cryptocurrency, but I like your economist to read on the world. (laughs) Well, I think our guest today would agree with me that inflation is top of mind, and we're absolutely thrilled to have him. Today, we have Steve Friedman, senior macroeconomist at Mackay Shields joining us. Steve is a good friend of the multi-asset solutions team. In addition to being a stellar economic mind, Steve is a senior managing director on Mackay's global fixed income team and plays an important role in forming our asset allocation strategy for the Income Builder Fund. So Steve, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Thank you to you both for having me. Well, let's get started with the latest news, and then we can expand into the bigger pictures for markets. A couple of weeks ago, we got an inflation data for April, a consumer price index print that showed both a spike in headline inflation, the overall number, as well as the core number when you remove out the more volatile components like food and energy. A lot of eyes were on this report and markets responded with some volatility. Steve, what do you make of it? Well, as you both know, I had been expecting higher inflation this year as the economy reopened, but many sectors still faced supply constraints, including labor supply constraints. That being said, I wasn't expecting such a large month-over-month increase in the April figure. But I do think that the increase that we saw still largely reflects the reopening. We saw categories such as hotels, airfares, car rentals, all see large price gains. And other categories such as used cars and trucks, household goods, recreational goods, saw large price gains as well that I think largely reflect these global supply chain bottlenecks. We can't forget that we are still in a global pandemic, and that's limiting the productive capacity of the global economy. Mm, That's a really interesting point. And I can certainly attest to the higher used car price data. I'm out there trying to buy a car right now and I can see how expensive things are. What I am hearing from you is that much of these pressures, like those higher car costs, is inflationary pressures demonstrated in the report due to supply and demand imbalances. And this is pretty typical of an economic recovery. During a recession, productions of goods and services slow, the transportations of those goods slow, and then as the economy starts to improve and demand picks up, which is great news. It can take time for production to pick back up as well and meet that demand. Is that what we're seeing here? We are seeing that, but to the nth degree, if you will, because in this case, because of the pandemic, it wasn't just that the economy slowed. It literally came almost to a complete stop. So that tells us, well, what is the outlook going forward? Well, if we look at company surveys, we know that they're still reporting higher input prices, longer delivery times for inputs, and also a backlog of work. And also many firms are still reporting uh, difficulty hiring. So all of this suggests that some of these supply constraints are going to be with us still for some time. 
But that being said, they will come to an end. We're already seeing a pickup in global trade. That's telling us that the supply side of the global economy is responding to strong demand. But that said, there is still some potential for these price pressures to endure. If we look at some categories, for example, like lodging and airfares, prices there still remain below pre-pandemic levels. So it's going to take a little bit of time for all this to work itself out. And that's really interesting. So there is some risk that inflationary pressures we're seeing are not temporary. Definitely some of these are just adjustments, but there are other categories that in some cases aren't just an adjustment. It might not be our base case, but that is an important risk. What do the longer term trends tell us? Lauren, you've spent some time on this recently. So what do you think? Well, this is a big question, a big topic, so bear with me. But what you two have spoken about so far, the impact of the economic cycle on prices, those ebbs and flows of supply and demand are called cyclical factors. But there are also structural factors impacting inflation, trends in things like demographics or inequality or globalization or debt. And those things underlie the price potential moving forward. So just want to acknowledge that these are mega trends. They're very complex factors that tend to change over decades rather than a couple of months. But we are seeing some potential shifts as a result of the pandemic and related political changes. And I'll, because I always give things three buckets, I'll put them in three buckets. So some of these changes we're seeing in prices themselves. So if you think about business processes over the past few decades, such as the tendency to look for lower labor costs abroad or to globalize supply chains, those have been disinflationary, but might be reversing at this point. And so that could point to a little more inflationary pressure moving forward on a structural basis. But then there's another bucket of factors, such as demographics and inequality. And those tend to impact prices through their impact to overall economic potential. So just as an example, having more people in the workforce, more younger people in the workforce might mean more income and more spending from those people, which improves economic activity and can put upward pressure on prices. These are trickier to see in real time because they take so much time to change. So if you think about what might encourage them to change, it would be things like government spending over a long period of time to get more women into the labor force. For example, more spending on childcare or something like that. So Again, you can see that that's a pretty slow moving process. And so on balance, I'd say that that bucket of things maybe isn't really changing. And so they're disinflationary on average. And then the last bucket of things, and I'm almost done, the last bucket of things is technological advancement. This is a force that tends to be strongly disinflationary because it makes highly productive processes less expensive. It takes fewer labor hours to weld a car when you have robots, for example. And that has been accelerated by the pandemic because we've been working from home and because of investments that had just started to make their way into the corporate world before the pandemic started. And so since those investments tend to be disinflationary, we're looking at more disinflationary pressures moving forward. So if you add all these up together, the structural trends, the underlying trends of inflation are still looking somewhat disinflationary, might firm only modestly in the coming years. So when we think about the outlook for inflation, that ends up being an important factor. Okay, just three things, but those three things are a lot to balance. Plus you have all the near-term factors. In the near-term, as Steve and I talked about, there's a potential uptick in inflation just due to the pandemic impact and a normal economic recovery. Over the longer term, there's this disinflationary impulse, which means that prices aren't rising as quickly in the long term because of things like you mentioned, Lauren, globalized supply chains, demographics, and technological advancement. Steve, as a resident Fed expert, how does the Federal Reserve balance all of that? 
Does April's inflation data impact their perspective? And does that mean that they're going to change their monetary accommodation? You know, Rob, it's really interesting because we know how seriously the Fed takes its price stability mandate. The last thing that it wants to do is have any kind of repeat of the great inflation of the 1970s. And yet here we are with a month where inflation rose by over 1% just on a month. But yet, I don't really think there are strong monetary policy implications of this because the data is still consistent with the Fed's overall view that, yes, the economy would see some price pressures as the COVID risk fades into the background. So I think the data is still consistent with that view. If anything, I think we're seeing them say that, okay, maybe these pressures will be a little bit more persistent than we had expected, but we still expect it to fade. That seems to be their their current uh, understanding. Now, I will offer one caveat, and that is inflation expectations. Long-run inflation expectations play a very important role in the inflation setting process. The view basically is that if people start to expect higher inflation in the future, well, that actually does impact prices in the here and now. So the Fed is very, very focused on long-term inflation expectations. So I would say that if we get later in this year and we are still seeing these inflation pressures and long-run inflation expectations are moving higher in a persistent fashion, that could evoke a response from the Fed. Now, what would that look like? It's not policy tightening. They still will remain very, very patient, but we'll see them adjust their communication. We'll see them reiterate their commitment to their 2% inflation objective. They'll mention that they're closely monitoring inflation expectations. Effectively, they'll be signaling a possibility that rate increases could happen somewhat sooner. They would be doing this to reinforce their inflation fighting credibility. But overall, I do think the name of the game from the Fed is still patience. And I think markets understand this. They understand that the Fed will want to see strong evidence of sustained inflation pressures before they would react. And for this reason, when we look at market pricing, markets are still not pricing in Fed liftoff. That is a first rate increase until 2023. Wow, that's a long ways away. I like that you brought up the self-fulfilling prophecy that is inflation. How does the fiscal outlook play into that? It is definitely something that we have to watch quite closely. We know that the Biden administration has fairly sizable spending plans in the works. This is their American family plan and their American jobs plan. My expectation is that something does eventually get passed. I don't think that the ultimate spending packages will be nearly as large as the $4.5 trillion that has been proposed. And that's because we know that it's unlikely that there will be bipartisan agreement. The deal will have to move forward through Congress, basically just with Democratic support. And we know that more moderate Democrats are already signaling some discomfort with the size of the proposals and also some discomfort with the amount of tax increases that might be required. So I think at the end of the day, we get something closer to a $2 trillion package, maybe with $1 trillion worth of tax increases. So on net, still providing a tailwind to the economy. But we should keep in mind that tailwind to the economy occurs over the course of a decade or so. These are longer-term spending plans. So they will be helpful for the growth environment, but I'm not convinced that it really meaningfully changes the inflation outlook. That's a great point. And it's definitely less of a fiscal impulse than we have seen since the pandemic started. I think now is a good time for us to move to our portfolio pause, which is a segment of the program, Steve, where Lauren and I like to share an investment idea. We've received a lot of inflation-related questions lately. And the general gist of these questions is, whether inflation is coming or not, which we just talked about. And if an investor is worried about it, what should they be doing? 
Well, it might be an unsatisfying answer, but I think this is a time to go back to the basics. This is an uncertain environment. And so investors should be diversified and flexible. Rather than significantly shifting investment strategy, they can take a tactical approach by leaning into the asset classes that benefit from rising inflation environment and rising rate environment. Cyclical and value equities in sectors such as materials, energy, financials tend to outperform as economic growth and inflation are rising. And in fixed income, short duration, high yield bonds and floating rate loans tend to benefit from rising rates or a steepening curve. Just a couple of ideas. Yeah, those are some great ideas. Steve, what do you think, though? How are your investment teams considering this question? So here at Mackay Shield in our multi-sector fixed income portfolios, we do remain diversified across alpha sources. And we do have a few high conviction areas that reflect our view of a strong growth environment with moderately higher inflation in the years ahead. So to give some examples of that, we are leaning into the consumer sector, given strong household balance sheets, risk recovery in the labor market, and fiscal support that will underpin consumer credit. Financials are also positioned to benefit from a stronger economy. And we continue to see opportunities in sectors of the market that were most impaired by COVID. Coming up next, Steve, can you do us the honors? What are you looking at in the next week or two? So maybe I'll I'll take a little bit of a different approach and talk about some longer term areas that I'm focused on rather than the near term data. I'm very focused on the small business sector. If we think about the the pandemic, small businesses suffered really tremendously. Small business revenues are still down about 30% compared to pre-pandemic levels. Many still haven't reopened. So I'll be looking for signs over the course of the summer as the economy reopens and we return to something closer to normal. I'll be looking for signs that small businesses are starting to make a recovery. And I'm putting some emphasis on that because we know how important small businesses are as employers in this country. And then secondly, I'll be very focused in the short term on the bipartisan negotiations on infrastructure. It'll be interesting to see how long Democrats are willing to move forward with those negotiations before pivoting to something that's just focused on passing infrastructure legislation with only Democratic support. Well, as is always the case in our team meetings, we could talk about these factors forever, but that's it for today. We'll be back in two weeks. So for those in the U.S., we'll be back after the Memorial Day holiday for more Market Matters. Yes, let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or a topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on our website, which is newyorklifeinvestments.com and clicking the insights tab. And Mackay Shields also has incredible insights from Steve and some of the others on his team on their website as well. Yes, you should definitely go check out those insights. But until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. 
The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and a common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. The mainstay funds are managed by New York Life Investment Management, LLC, an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, and distributed by Nye Life Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nye Life Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA and SIPC. Mackay Shields is an affiliate of New York Life Investments.